The following resource is brought to you by Real Life Community Church in Richmond, Kentucky. We hope you're both challenged and encouraged by this message from Pastor Chris May. Is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation? For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. This is the word of the Lord, and you may be seated. By the way, we are doing worship a little bit different today. You may wonder why we we quit singing so early, but uh, we're actually splitting worship, and we're going to do a couple more songs at the end to give you time to just worship and, and reflect on the word. But um, how's your Sunday going so far? Yeah? Good. Well, this is one of my favorite passages in the Bible, and it's very, very, very dense, and that's why I wanted you to have a note sheet to kind of track with me, but through this. As many of you know, uh, one of our deacons, Don Lynn, Don, lift your hand, and Lynn, lift your hand up there. He and his wife, uh, Lynn, they have this incredible ministry for married couples called Marriage Restored. And it's primarily for troubled marriages, but, but Don wanted Nikki and I to attend one of these sessions kind of incognito just to get a, an idea of what the ministry is about. And so last month, we got to attend one of these incredible weekends. Uh, it was in Lexington, and Nikki and I just had a tremendous time. And so during the sessions, we kind of sat in the back so that we could watch before our very eyes couples who came in very troubled and in great turmoil. We got to see them transformed before our eyes. We got to watch them, in, in a sense, fall in love all over again, and it was remarkable. Well, how did this happen? I can tell you that it did not happen by Don and Lynn just barking orders the whole weekend, saying, you better love one another. You better respect one another. No, you know what they did? They appealed to the hearts of the men and women there. It's remarkable. So through intense and deep communication with each other, husband and wives were put in a position to where they could remember why they got married in the first place and what they loved about one another. It was beautiful. And so they were kind of put in this place where they could, again, fall in love all over again. And we watched this happen before our very eyes. Each person was given the opportunity to be enraptured again by the inward and outward beauty of his or her spouse. Now, Nikki and I have been married for 22 years, and I'll just tell you, we went just to evaluate, but Don and Lynn read our mail. Come on, somebody. I mean, like, Nikki finally figured out all that was wrong with her, right? 
I'm just joking. Obviously, I didn't learn too much, right? <laughs> The, the weekend was an immense help to us, and I, I left the retreat even more thankful for the wife that God has given me. Now, I tell you that story just, just to illustrate. This is the kind of tactic that Paul uses in this text. Namely, he, he appeals to the heart of the Colossians because he wants to raise their affections for Jesus Remember, his main purpose in writing the letter is to help the believers in Colossae and us to see Jesus, the risen Jesus, at the center of everything. So that we might be more satisfied in Jesus and be more devoted to him. And so he knows the way to encourage a greater devotion to Jesus is not primarily, hear this, it's not primarily through commands, even though he, he gives lots of commands you know, throughout his epistles. But it's not primarily through commands, but rather it is by helping us be enraptured by the true beauty and the true glory of Jesus. That's the goal. And one of the, the, the great ways that we know to raise our affections for someone or something is through what? A song or a poem. Come on, somebody. That's the way I, I, I married up, all right? I, I was a musician, and I wrote songs, and so I won Nikki's heart through song, right? It works. And believe it or not, our text today, this portion of Colossians chapter 1, is actually a poem. Now, you would never know this by reading it in English, but in Greek, it has a beautiful rhythm to it, and I won't butcher it in, in the Greek. Just trust me on it, Okay. But it has a similar structure to many of the Hebrew Psalms. And some scholars believe, actually many scholars believe, this was actually a Christian hymn that was to be sung. Which tells you something, by the way, of first century songs. They were very theological in content. The main theme of the poem is just simply the centrality or the preeminence or the supremacy of Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all is a great summation. That's a, that's a way that you can say it well in a way that makes sense to us. And there are two main stanzas. The first is about Jesus being at the center of creation, the center of the universe, all right? He is Lord of creation. And then the second stanza is about Him being the Lord of the new creation. So it's just a beautiful poem and if you've been here long, you know that, that one of my goals every week, every single Sunday, is to raise our affections for Jesus through the preaching of His Word. That's the aim. I, I don't want you leaving here saying, oh, man, that guy can speak, or, or wow, I, I really like this point. I want, your, I want your affections raised for Jesus through the preaching of His Word. And some of you say, many of you say you love Him. You love Jesus. You claim that He's your Lord, but some of you have been influenced by the pressures of this world and you are living a compromised life. So I hope that today, through this beautiful poem, that your breath would be taken away by the beauty and the wonder of our Savior. That you would be convinced of His worth and His trustworthiness. That you would entrust Him with your life. 
And this would naturally then result in a greater commitment to Jesus. So that's, that's the goal. Are you with me? Amen. Well, so let's begin with this first stanza. Jesus is at the center of creation. He is supreme. Verses 15 through 17. So let's just walk through this. Verse 15, Paul says that he is the image. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. What does he mean here? Well, this first affirmation is about Jesus' identity. He is, he, he, he is eternally God the Son. He is not just the Son of God. Jesus is God the Son. And in His incarnation, Him taking on human flesh, He is the visible and the perfect expression, the very essence of God. Now, when you think about the language here, uh, that the image of God, what does that do to us? That pushes us back to the very first pages of the Bible, does it not? Because human beings, we know from the book of Genesis, were created in God's image. Now, we are human beings. We're, we were created as human beings, not divine beings. So we were not omnipotent and omniscient, all-knowing, all-powerful, all, all of those things. No, but, but we were created in God's image to bear His image, to reflect His image in the world. And this has a lot to do with vocation. The world was God's place. And He uh, is king over the world. And He meant for us as His image bearers. To steward the earth. All right? So under his kingship, we were to rule the earth. How did we do with that? We did terrible, horrible. We failed miserably. Because of our own rebellion. By the way, this is simply just our desire to be our own king. It wasn't good enough to rule under his reign. No, we wanted to be on the throne. And isn't that not so true still today? Because of that rebellion, our image, our ability to bear God's image has been marred. However, this is the great news of what Jesus has done. As Christians, through Christ, that image is being redeemed. And we are continually, Romans 8.29 says, we are being conformed as Christians into the image of Christ. And this process will continue until Jesus returns and in that final phase of eternal life, it will be complete. So in our membership process here at the church, I sit down with, with uh, those who want to be members, and, and, and I say, listen, just so you know, when you connect with us in this covenant way, and you make real life your home, you represent us in, in the community. Like, if you're short with somebody, you represent real life. You lose your temper, you represent real life. When you're unkind, you represent real life. Or for the positive, if you're kind, if you're forgiving, you represent real life. But like if you have road rage, please do not put one of our decals <laughs> on your windshield. Go down and check at the Mormon church and see if they have decals for you to put on, all right? That's all right. Just don't put ours on your windshield, please. But you know, beyond representing real life, we represent every one of us Jesus Christ. That's a sobering thought. How are you doing at that? Right? Well, Paul is saying here that Jesus is the eternal and the perfect embodiment of the image of God. 
And this is something, by the way, no mere human could be. He's the perfect embodiment, the very essence of God. He is God the Son. And here we see this beautiful doctrine of the deity of Jesus Christ. This is so important to our faith. He is the eternal Son of God and God the Son. And this is why Jesus could make this outrageous claim in John 14, 9. He says, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So he is that perfect image. Then you go on to the second part of verse 15. And Paul says that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. Now this is a controversial verse. Because there are some who use this phrase to actually deny the deity of Jesus. They say, well, see, he was a created being, so he's not really God, or he's a lesser God. But that's a huge, a massive misunderstanding of the verse. If you're going to correctly understand the Bible, you've got to see it within its historical context. And So here is what Paul's mean, Paul means when you look at the historical context. Jesus, who is the perfect image of God, is by right the firstborn. This does not suggest that he was the first creature to be created. But instead, here's what it has to, to do, do with. It is his rank and authority, which was very important in the first century and throughout the ancient world. God, in Exodus 4.22, God calls Israel his firstborn. Now, was Israel the first nation to exist? No. But they held first place in God's sight amongst the nations. So this phrase simply points to Jesus' right to rule over all creation. And this will be clarified even more in just a minute when we get uh, to another verse. Here's what Paul's saying. Jesus is Lord of the cosmos. That's the God we serve. Amen? Now let's move to verses 16 and 17. For by Him, Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. So in these verses, here's what Paul does. He gives three reasons for the supremacy of Jesus. Three reasons for the supremacy of Jesus. Number one, Paul says that Christ is supreme because he is the agent of and the goal of all creation. He's the agent of and the goal of all creation. And John's gospel affirms this when he says in, in chapter 1, verse 3, All things were made through him, and without him was Nothing made that was made. Now, I just want you to think about this. When you consider, I mean, the, the greatness of the universe, I mean, the, the magnitude of the universe, nothing within the universe was made apart from Jesus. Does that just give you a glimpse of how big our Lord is? This is remarkable. In regards to the universe, Nobel Peace Prize winner Max Planck is cited as saying, quote, that ev according to everything taught by the exact sciences about the immense realm of nature, a certain order prevails, one independent of the human mind. And he says this order can be formulated in terms of purposeful activity. There is evidence of an intelligent order of the universe 
to which both man and nature are subservient. The universe points to intelligent design. Duh, right? We, we know this, don't we? Because there is an intelligent designer. And Jesus is the agent of creation. And so he is supreme over that creation. And not only is he the agent of creation, but all things were created, Paul says, for him. Created for him. So let me just say this again. I know it's redundant, but we need to hear this because our world is telling us otherwise. And that's why people are miserable. Friends, hear me. Life is not about you. It's not about me. It's about King Jesus. Amen? Hallelujah. Life is about Him. Secondly, Jesus is supreme over all creation because He existed before creation. All right? Verse 17, the first part. He is before all things. When the universe came into being, Jesus already existed. As a matter of fact, in John 8, 58, hear what he says. He says, truly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. He doesn't say I was. He says I am. And here we know he is identifying himself with Yahweh, with God. He is the second person in the eternal Godhead. So he existed before creation. He's supreme over creation. And finally, Paul says that he is supreme over creation because he is the sustainer of creation. He says, and in him all things, all things hold together. If he were to cease to exist, what would happen? All things would fall apart. Jesus quite literally holds all things together. That's a massive responsibility. I mean, just think of the, 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 the universe. Just think of our little galaxy for a moment. Think about our sun, which is uh, the, the sun, which is our nearest star. It's just under 93 million miles away. It's a million times the size of Earth. It takes light traveling at an average speed of, uh, speed of 186,000 miles per second, about eight and a half minutes to reach us. And there are hundreds of billions of stars in our galaxy alone. And then we know, too, that there are billions of other galaxies. And Jesus is the agent of creation. He was before it all. He existed before it all. And he holds it all together. That's the kind of God that we serve. Marvel at that as you think about the little cute baby in a manger. <laughs> I think one of the problems in the church today is that that's all we view Jesus as, is this little cute baby in a manger. You know, we grew up hearing that he lives in our hearts, so we think of little miniature Jesus in our heart, right? So when we come to, to these problems and, 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 and tough seasons in life, we think about, oh, I don't know if he could handle this. Oh, church, he is the one who holds all things together. He's the one who created it all. And so those of you who are going through trials and, and struggles right now, you feel like giving up. Just think of the magnitude of the universe. And Jesus holds it all together. That might put your situation into perspective. 
That's why he's able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we could ask or think. Last night I was at the hospital with my father who could barely even whisper a word. And the pulmonologist came in. He said, Chris, it's not looking good. He's not getting better. And the nurse began to talk to me that we're going to have to make some tough decisions coming up. And last night I I walked out discouraged, but I came to church afterwards and I was going through my notes. This was about eight something last night. I was going through my notes and just thinking about the the, the wonder and, and the beauty and the power of Jesus Christ. And I just was reminded that you know what? God is so able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than what I could even think or ask Him for. He's a big God. And so last night I got on my face before the Lord. And I said, Lord, I want your perfect will, but I'm praying and I'm believing. And it's kind of what Pastor Dakota preached last week. That, Lord, I know that you can and I believe that you will. But even not, I'm going to praise you. But I just, I just felt faith rising up in me. And, and, and it looked like it was over last night for my dad, to be honest. And I said, I had people saying, are you going to preach tomorrow? I said, yes, I'm going to preach tomorrow. I'm going to preach tomorrow. And I just went to sleep last night with the peace. And we woke up today with great news that my dad is sitting up today. It's incredible. So when you, when you, when you consider the greatness of God, it just puts our little problems into perspective and we can cast our cares upon him because he cares for us so the point of this first stanza is simply this that God is at the center Jesus is at the center of all creation do you you get a glimpse of how amazing this Jesus is wow second stanza parallels so beautifully not only is he at the center of creation but he is at the center of what the Bible would call new creation. In the second stanza, Paul is showing that Jesus is the one who is restoring all things, making things new, and bringing about this new creation. So when you go back to Genesis, was God's creation good or bad? It was good. But because of sin and evil and human beings' rebellion against God, His creation has been marred. But by grace, God is bringing about a new creation, a new people, a new heavens, a new earth. And this is one of the major themes throughout the Bible. And we see here that Jesus is at the center of this new creation. Verse 18, Paul starts by saying he is the head of the body, the church. Let me just say the church is the new humanity. This is God's new people who have been redeemed and reconciled to the Father through Jesus. And you ought to celebrate, if you are in Christ, if you have trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you've repented of your sin and turned to Him, you are part of this new people, of this new kingdom. It's incredible. And then he says, he is the beginning, and here's this word again, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be, preeminent. The Greek word used here for firstborn is prototokos, 
And it's the same word used in verse 15. And the idea is the same here. Don't miss this. It has to do with Jesus' authority. He is not the first one to be raised from the dead. Ever heard of Lazarus? But he is first in rank over anyone who will ever be raised from the dead. And by the way, one of our great hopes as believers is that our bodies, we'll have glorified bodies with Christ. We will be raised. All right, that's already happened spiritually. We've been raised to the newness of life. But our physical bodies one day will be raised. We'll have new and glorified bodies. But we're not going to be on the same level as Jesus. The point is that He's the Lord of the new creation as well. That's the point. And Paul says that because of His death and resurrection, Jesus has first place in everything. That's what this word means, preeminent. And then we go to verse 19. For in Him all the fullness, and I want you to kind of mark that word, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. This is just a reiteration. Reiteration of what he said. Jesus is the visible expression of God. He is God in the flesh. Now remember, Paul is writing to the Colossians to warn them against false teachings that are coming against the church. And he desires to raise their devotion to Jesus. And one of the issues there is this temptation to allow surrounding religions to be tacked on to these believers' faith in Christ. So it's like Christ plus something else. There was this propensity towards feeling like they needed more than Jesus because, remember, this was a pluralistic culture. They believed in many gods. And so none of the surrounding uh, people, you know, minded that they believed in Jesus, but the emphasis was placed on, well, you can believe in Jesus, but you also need to believe in these other Gods or emanations or what have you. That this idea that Jesus wasn't enough. And so Paul is refuting this emphatically. And he says the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Jesus. Now the word fullness here is an interesting word. In the Greek it is the word pleroma. And it comes to be used later by the Gnostics. To describe the totality. Don't miss this. Of many divine emanations or lesser gods. That's what the Gnostics use this to say. And so Paul through this poem is letting the Colossians know that Jesus is not one of these emanations or lesser gods. No, he is the fullness of God. Let me just ask you today, is anybody in here hungry spiritually? Are you hungering and thirsting for spiritual things? Well, can I just declare to you today, you don't need to look within. You don't need to do more yoga to find yourself. I'm picturing some of you doing yoga, and it's scary. What you need is Jesus Christ. You don't need Jesus and some teachings from Buddha. Or you don't need Jesus and some, some stuff from Muhammad. No, you need Christ alone. Because in Him is the fullness of God. You don't need Christianity and New Age spirituality. And that's creeping into the church. No, you need Christ alone. In Him is the fullness of God. He's, how many know, more than enough. Verse 19. 
for context, and then we're going to go to verse 20. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, verse 20, and through him, through Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things. So God, through Christ, is reconciling to himself all things. Watch this. Whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus is at the center of redemption. Isn't that beautiful? So we've been talking about the, the Genesis passage and what happened because of our sin. Remember our image, our ability to bear God's image. That image has been marred. But it's not just humanity that's been broken because of our sin. No, all of creation itself has been impacted negatively because of our sin. We were given the, the job, the important job to steward God's earth. But when we rebelled and decided we wanted to be our own king, the world suffered for it. The animal kingdom suffered. The creation itself suffered and still suffers because of that. And this is really clear in Romans chapter 8, verses 19 through 22. It's another poem. And I'm actually going to read it from the New Living Translation just to help you get an idea of what Paul is saying. It's a little bit clearer in this paraphrase. Verse 19, Romans chapter 8. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who His children really are. Against its will, all creation, he's personifying creation here. All creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom. Watch this. From death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we see this all around us, do we not? Natural disasters, things dying, wildfires, droughts, floods, you name it, it's happening. The creation, as Paul says very poetically, is groaning. But here is the great news, church. God means to reconcile creation to himself. And believe it or not, there is a verse in our, one of our Christmas songs we love to sing, Joy to the World, that anticipates this very idea. You may not be as familiar with these words. Here it is. Here, here are these words. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, for as the curse is found. This is actually anticipating Jesus' second coming. Everything in the universe will one day be reconciled to God, except those who still want to be their own kings and reject King Jesus. And God has gone to great lengths to restore peace on earth through the cross of Jesus. So through Him, He is bringing about this wonderful new creation of which we are invited to be a part. How awesome is that? I don't know what better news you could receive today. I couldn't think of a better invitation than to be part of this new creation. So the point of the magnificent poem is that Jesus is at the center of creation. He's at the center of new creation. Friends, He is Lord of all. He is Lord of all. So what do we do with this? What do we do with it? Can you hang with me for five more minutes? 
Okay, some of you look doubtful. Stretch real quick, because I need you to hear this, all right? As we consider the power and the beauty and the glory of Jesus, we ought to just be overwhelmed with emotion. When we comprehend then that this all-powerful being, the Lord of all, would then subject himself to the pain and the suffering of our world that we messed up so that we could be reconciled to the Father. We ought to respond with sincere gratitude. And I can't think of any other way to respond than by saying, Jesus, all that I have is yours. I give myself to you. Here's the bottom line. Jesus is the Lord of creation. He is the Lord of the new creation. Listen to me. Here's the question I want to pose this morning. Is He the Lord of your life? Is He the Lord of your life? Perhaps, perhaps there are some here today and you have never stepped into a relationship with Jesus Christ. You've never repented of your sin and turned to Jesus and confessed Him as Lord. I hope today that your affections have been raised for Him, that you can see now His greatness and His trustworthiness. And I pray today that that you would receive His invitation to be part of His new creation. There are consequences for not for, for, for not accepting Him and not receiving Him as Lord. There are eternal consequences, but I don't want to focus on that today. I want to do what Paul did, and I just want to, I just want to appeal to your heart and say, as you've listened to me brag on Jesus for the last 30-something minutes, this Jesus, this Lord of all, the one who holds it all together, the one who created everything and holds it all together and existed before anything else existed, This Jesus, to my great astonishment, wants us to know Him. Is that remarkable? That's the God that wants you to commune with Him. So I pray today you'd make that decision. Now, most of you today in here call yourself believers. And you would say, oh, yeah, Jesus is Lord. But let me ask you this. Are you living like He is Lord of your life? The one who made you is the one who knows what is best for you. The one who made you is the one who knows what's best for you. There are probably areas in each of our lives that need to be brought under the lordship of Jesus. You have any areas in your life that need to come under the lordship of Jesus? Repent today. That's what I encourage you to do. Repent. I pray that your devotion is greater than ever to Jesus Christ when you leave this place today. Finally, as I've said a couple times this morning, I've spent the last two weeks in a hospital room. My father, it's been hard to watch. Many of you have watched your parents and loved ones suffer and and pass away. And 
Even in, in recent months, I can look through and see people who've gone through this. And you know, I'm reminded that even as Christians, even as Christians, that we, we still go through seasons of suffering and pain. We're not immune from those things, right? We still suffer. We still deal with sorrow and grief because we still live in, in a broken world. But you know, I just have great hope this morning. And maybe some of you are going through a really tough season. I just want you to know this. We have the hope of a new creation. I just was reminded as I was reflecting this morning that there's coming a day where we will have no more sorrow, no more pain. Every tear will be wiped from our eyes. There'll be no more sin, no more evil, no more heartache, no more brokenness. There will be a new heavens and a new earth. <laughs> and we shall forever be with the Lord. That's just a great promise. And I hope that you have hope because of that today. But you say, well, okay, but what about now? Well, right now, as Christians, if you are truly in Christ and you're living under the Lordship of Jesus, we get a foretaste of that kingdom right now. So let me just tell you my experience. Two weeks, sitting beside my dad, up and down, this kind of roller coaster ride that I've been on, thinking in a moment that he's going to die, and the next so he might recover. Up and down, up and down, and, and, and them coming to me going, hey, you're the power of attorney. You're going to have to make this decision of how long we keep him breathing. That's a massive responsibility. And yet, through it all, it's not been easy. I hurt. But I have a remarkable, remarkable peace that, as the Bible would say, surpasses all understanding. In the midst of this, we had a grandmother who was having surgery at UK. My dad's at St. Joe. My grandmother's at UK. Doctors were convinced she had cancer. She had a mass removed. And by the way, she does not have cancer. She's a good old Baptist lady. And she came out saying, I believe the Lord healed me. <laughs> Hallelujah. But through all of this, and I've had people say, man, how are you? I, I, I've had to do finals for school. I've had to, to write sermons. And I've had, you know, all these responsibilities. And we had some, some issues within the family that we've been dealing with. And it's like people say to me, how are you making it? And I just have one word that I can, I can, I can say to explain it. Jesus. I know that sounds cliche and, and a bit overly spiritual maybe or maybe overly simplified but I shouldn't be standing here today how can I have the st strength through this to stand up here and preach like this I'm not saying I'm preaching well but I'm preaching with, with great conviction and with energy how? Jesus and if you will submit to the Lordship of Christ not just be a nominal Christian. If you will submit your life and walk in, in purity and holiness, and you will walk with the Lord, you will have peace and joy no matter the circumstances. It's beautiful. So Jesus is the Lord of creation. He's Lord of new creation. Is He Lord of your life? If not, as we sing a couple songs here in closing, I invite you. Make Him Lord of your life. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Thank you for listening. 
If you'd like to know more about how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ, or if you have questions about our church, you can email us at info at myrealchurch.org. Real Life Community Church is located at 335 Glendon Avenue in Richmond, Kentucky. We invite you to join us for worship Sunday at 1045 a.m. or Wednesday at 7 p.m. Visit us online at myrealchurch.org.